Uh, all right. Good morning again, Paul Stiver. I'm one of the elders here at Hope, and we are in week two now of our What's in a Name sermon series, which I realize that title is extremely abstract. Doesn't make sense if you just put it up there. We're looking at names for the church and, and the New Testament descriptions of names of the church and saying, what does that mean? And how does that impact us today? How do we do church? How should we do church uh, so we're looking at names of the church, and I, I wanted to talk about this show. Uh, so this is uh, the Magic School Bus. Well, it's also books, but it's a show. Uh, if you're like me, this was crucial in your childhood. Uh, I actually, so the fun part of this job is I got to watch an episode of the Magic School Bus yesterday for sermon prep, so that's, that counts. You don't get to do that for your job. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I actually, so I, it's weird because I, when I grew up, I had to ride the bus to school. We lived in the country. And school buses are not magical, so I always find this show, it is magical. Um, I actually did a quiz. So you've got a ton of characters, if you don't remember the show. Liz the Lizard, um, which creative name for a lizard. Obviously, Miss Frizzle, uh, Carlos, Tim, Keisha. Who else do we got? Arnold, Wanda, Dorothy Ann. And there, there's, there's a whole gang at the Magic School Bus. Arnold is the one, if you can see, he's sitting... Uh, in the school bus front row seat there. And the episode I watched yesterday, he stays back. He doesn't go on the field trip and he's really excited about it, but he doesn't realize that the field trip is going into his body. So they're going into his digestive system. Uh, they take a look in his body. I actually did learn something about the digestive system watching it, so that was kind of fun. Um, but as we look today, as a segue here, we're looking at the body of Christ. We're going to go into the doctrine. Uh, Duncan liked it. Into the doctrine of the body of Christ. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 as well as some other passages because that's one of the names. What's in a name for the New Testament church is the body. So we're going to just consider first, what does the name the body of Christ mean? And uh, in order to be a compelling public speaker, you always start with the dictionary. Uh, that really draws the people in. So we're going to do that. Uh, so definition number one from uh, a Bible dictionary I picked up at like a thrift shop a while ago says, a Pauline, big word here, just means the Apostle Paul. When his writings are called Pauline, a Pauline designation of the church through which he contends that the many members of the local church or the whole church are united in Christ. And Brian talked about that capital C church last week being the, the church Catholic, the universal church, so to speak. Everybody that calls on the name of Jesus throughout the world. While the term church, as Brian looked at last week, refers to having been called out, that's the Greek word ekklesia of the world, having been called out of the world, body of Christ depicts the inner unity of believers in their Savior. So last week, Brian looked at that ekklesia of, of us being the church. And then this week now, we're looking at the inner unity of believers in the Savior. Second definition, to stay in dictionaries, the church is a body where each member is significant and which must keep closely in touch with its head, who is Jesus. As a body, it can grow and mature. So just want to lay that out uh, as quick definitions on this name. This is a New Testament term. Uh, so as we think about how does the body of Christ, this term, this name, fit into the story of the Bible, this, this term comes in in the New Testament. So what the passages we're going to look at that talk about the body and Christ is head of the body, what's happened before that in the story of the Bible is God has created everything and it was good. And right away, man falls into sin, humankind falls into sin. 
And then God makes these promises that he's going to redeem a people. And so he starts with Israel and they consistently rebel. And so he says, I'm going to actually send my son. And so he sends his son who dies on the cross. And then in his son and in the power and the sending of the spirit in the New Testament church is founded in the book of Acts. And we see now Christ calling a people of disciples to himself And it is in that New Testament now that that people is called the body of Christ, primarily as said in the Apostle Paul's writings. And so we're going to start, I want to start by actually starting with the gospel and looking at that story. And so we're going to look at Colossians, a New Testament letter, and how this is described, this whole great story. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, And we can actually go pretty astray in our theology right here with this verse if we read it and say the Son is created. That's actually what, I got a letter recently from the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what they do. They say that the Son is a created being. Now he's really high up, but he's a created being. And we cannot, if we call ourselves Christians, agree with that teaching because the Son is God. And so when we see he's the image of God, We can think about ourselves. We are made in the image of God. We're created in God's likeness, but Jesus is the image of God. As Brian's talked about before, when God thinks about who he is, he actually thinks about his son, a person who is also God. Now about this Jesus, it says, verse 16, for in him, all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So when we look at this, everything's been created through him and for him. He's holding things together. And then we get the special language of he is the head of the body, the church. So there's a a general power and authority and rule and then a specific power and authority and rule. But in all of it, God wants his son to have supremacy. In other words, it's all about Jesus. And so we continue on. How did we get there? It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Again, he was fully God and is fully God. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That this plan of reconciliation for God, this plan of bringing all things under the authority of his son, happened through the cross as he made peace. And you say, okay, what peace had to be made? And here in verse 21, it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And now when we talk about humanity falling into sin, this verse describes every single one of us. Once you were alienated from God, enemies of God, the reason a reconciliation needed to happen was because there was a hostility. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So we have this death, this bodily resurrection, this vindication of glory that now in Christ we're presented holy, blameless, no accusation comes against us 
because we have Christ's righteousness. So he says in verse 23, don't move from that hope. That's not a if then, if I, I have to do this in order to stay in, it just says cling to the hope. Another way that Paul talks about the head comes from Ephesians. Chapter one, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So again, and this is actually, I love this, in verse 18. God wants us to have our eyes of our heart enlightened to know the hope to which we've been called and the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. That when the word inheritance is used there, my contention is it is describing Christ inheriting his people. And he says, I want you to know how good it is to belong to a church, to have the people of God and be a member of them. So we see Christ as the head of everything. As Brian talked about last week, he's got the world in the palm of his hand, and yet he's especially the head, the Lord, the source of life to the church. And we'll talk about that in this definition here. It says the use of head as a metaphor, this is from a commentary by Grant Osborne, the use of head as a meta- metaphor seems for, uh, stems from Hellenistic medical theory. So Hellenistic just means the Greek culture at the time when Paul was writing these letters. Their medical theory in which the head was seen as the source of the body's life as well as its ruler. As the head was the life force supplying the body and controlling it, so Jesus is the source of life and sovereign over all his creation. Moreover, the primary recipient of this life and power is the church, the body of Christ. The head of the church is the head over all creation and his life and power fill the church with divine life and power. So before we move on, I want to say this. If you are in here and you say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, I call on his name. There is no greater honor, no greater honor than to belong to the body of Christ. There's no more urgent affiliation. Nothing takes precedent over the fact that we belong to the body of Christ. We are united to him. There's no higher calling than that. And there's also, along with that, no other source of life and power. This is Thanos. He's where you guys, I don't, spoiler alert if you haven't seen these movies. It's required of pastors to do a Thanos illustration at some point. Why, did you do one before? Whatever, I don't have time for that. Uh, you, all right, Thanos, whatever, Thermos. All right, either way, I, he loses it. Oh, no, spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. He's holding the gauntlet, the infinity gauntlet with, that collects the stones. But I want to point this out because In many ways, this is the world thinks about power. But these stones were just out there because of the Big Bang and the world was created and and he collects, he got to go collect these stones in order that he would have the power. That power is just something to be accrued, to be wielded, that he's willing to shed others' blood in order to gain that power. And in Thanos, ah, got it. 
gains the power to destroy life in the movie. I'm sorry. If you haven't seen these movies, that's not, that is my fault that I did that, but I'm sorry. He gains the power to destroy life. But that's typically how the world views power, but that's not how Christ wields his power. First of all, we see in Christ, he has power over death and every authority and ruler because of his vindication and his resurrection life. He has that authority and power because it was granted to him by the Father because he was obedient unto death. In Jesus' life, he lived a perfectly righteous life from start to finish, and his crowning achievement was obeying the Father and laying down his life on the cross. So instead of using and shedding others' blood to gain power, Jesus sheds his blood. And that is what makes him worthy of the authority that God gives him. He wields his power then to give life, and specifically to the church. That he's our guy. And so to belong to his body, there's nothing better. But to be outside of it, nothing worse. So what does it mean then to be in the body of Christ? If Christ is the head, we're his people, what does it mean? I want to go to 1 Corinthians 12, which looks at a lot of things. It looks at spiritual gifts. We're not going to do that in this passage. If you want to learn more about that, take our systematic theology class and we'll do it there. Uh, but it looks at a lot of things and it talks about being in the body of Christ. And so starting in verse one of 1 Corinthians, it says, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is the apostle Paul writing to a church that he helped start. And he says, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. These false gods led you away. But he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this confession of Jesus as Lord is a demonstration that you have received the Holy Spirit, that you are in this body of Christ. And so moving on, he says, oh, so we got to, hold on, let's do, these are a little out of order here. We got to find, oh, we lost one. We lost the slide. All right, I'm going to just read this one then. Uh, moving on, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. That's verses four through seven here that we, we don't have a slide for. And so I just want to point out some of the language Paul uses. Different, same, different, same, different, same. He says different kinds of gifts, same spirit, different kinds of service, same Lord, Jesus, different kinds of working, but in everyone, it is God at work. He says, there's a sovereign distribution then in the body of the gifts that we have to use. That God is in control, giving each of us our gifts to use for the body. That each believer has some manifestation of the spirit. As Paul said earlier, and this is not just now verse seven, not just for our enjoyment or our hoarding, this manifestation God gives us of his spirit for the common good. Continuing on to get a little more specific, Paul says to hear, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues, all these 
are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes to each one just as he determines. One question that is fun to ask when you think about, am, where, what are my gifts? How am I called to serve the body? One question that I think is fun to ask is, what is something that God has equipped me to do that I do better than most people? And how can I give that away? How can I bless them either by showing them how to do it. Maybe you're really gifted at hospitality. Maybe you can demonstrate to people how to be a great host, how to welcome people and show them love and kindness. What can you give away that can serve the body? What gift do you have that serves others? And secondly, if you want to know more, we do have an LDI class coming up this fall called Shape, where it's specifically, we take six weeks and one of the weeks is looking at your spiritual gifts. You learn more about who you are, how God has wired you specifically to turn around and then bless the body. Uh, and, and when we look at this passage, we see a lot of unity diversity, which we'll talk about. But we also see that there is, that everyone matters. No one is superior or inferior in the body of Christ. Uh, and this is a picture of dirt cake. I don't know if you guys have had dirt cake. This is what I eat. Allison makes it for me every birthday. I just turned 34, uh, so I just had it. It was amazing. Uh, it's pure sugar, basically. But what it is is a lot of tasty stuff mixed together that looks like dirt, and then you top it with Oreo crumbs. And you got to stick the gummy worms in there. I was just talking to somebody that was anti-gummy worms. That's a tough way to live, but that's your choice. Uh, so, But she made this for me on my birthday, and actually Allison... Uh, throughout that whole day, it was last, it was in July, uh, did a lot of things uh, to highlight me. And, to, and I'm not, I'm the kind of person, I don't like the center of attention. If people didn't know my birthday date and it came and went, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. Um, but she did. She went above and beyond to make me feel special. She did a lot of things, one of them being this dirt cake. I say all that because dirt cake is delicious, but also because when we look at that, the fact that God has brought us into his son and called us to be a body, we have to see this, that Jesus, to Jesus, every member of the body is significant. Every person matters. Every person is special. The way that Allison made me feel special is the way that Jesus wants us to feel about our role, our membership in his body. He wants us to see that we're valuable and that we have gifts to offer. It wouldn't be dirt cake without the gummy worms, in my opinion. You need the gummy worms. And we're coming out of a season where the burden of ministry, because of what we were all experiencing, shifted to a very select few. And it had, we had to do that. The burden of ministry shifted to a select few people in the church because, especially on Sundays, in order that we could create the best possible worship space given the circumstances we were in. But now as we are coming out of those circumstances, and this is one of the reasons why we like to hit on the language member mobilized, we need to see that burden of ministry shift, but not just because we need help, but because we're missing out on something when people aren't utilizing their gifts in the church, and so are you. And so we have this call, this gifting of Christ to be participants in his body so then what does it look like to live as the body of Christ? How do we do this? We're going to look at unity and diversity, which Paul gets into here in chapter 12. But before we get into that, uh, I just need to talk about this picture. It just says, I love me. When I came to college in, two, in uh, 2005, I went to the U of M and I got into a philosopher by the name of Ayn Rand. 
And she has a philosophy called objectivism, which is basically all you are is what you produce. No one should tell you how to live. And her, her great protagonist in one of her novels makes this beautiful uh, architecture. He's an architect and he makes this beautiful public housing that would allow so many people to live at a lower income housing and have a better quality of life. But they build it one, a little bit off of his specifications and so he detonates it because he says what mattered was what I did, not what it produced. That's what I was into. In fact, she had a book that I bought, I never did read it, called The Virtue of Selfishness. And I bring all that up because we live in a highly individualized culture. Our culture tells us to consider ourselves first. And in fact, everything we went through in the last 20 months or so, we kind of had to in order to be safe and wise. We belong to a highly individualized culture that tells us, think of yourself first. What matters to you is what's most important. Cut toxic people out of your life. A fun fact, by the way, just sidebar on that. We're all toxic in some way, just, just to lay that out there. We're sinners. That's kind of just what it is. So there's got to be something more. If Paul says in Romans to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, we have to be willing to say, okay, this world is calling me to live in a highly individualistic way. But when I look at the word body of Christ, there's something different. I'm called to discern the body. When I make decisions, it's not just my call. I'm thinking about other people and who that impacts, who's impacted by my actions, who's impacted by my inaction. That to miss small group means I'm, I'm cutting off, I'm not letting people have an element of what I might bring to small group. These kinds of things should impact our decision-making. The challenge is we are, by nature, of our sinful nature, without Christ, selfish. And we're going to talk about our selfishness, that selfishness kills unity. But in the body, we are called to unity. And Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 12 again, he says, just as a body though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Paul here is saying, just like a body which has all these individual parts but is one, so it is with Christ. And we were brought into that body. He uses the language of baptized into by the Spirit. We were baptized into that body, into Christ, to be one. Which means then, when we think about unity in the church, the central and abiding force, oh gosh, voice crack, the central and abiding force behind our unity is this. It is that we are together in Christ and we all share the Spirit. Even in this verse, we see that ethnic distinctions and socioeconomic and other distinctions do not matter. We are in the body together. Jesus wanted it this way. He prays. And John 17 here, this is his high priestly prayer. And Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his current disciples. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message, through the gospel, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be as one 
One as we are one in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He says to the father, I want them to know this unity that you and I have had from all eternity. I'm inviting them into that. I pray that they would be brought to complete oneness of purpose, of mind, of belief in me so that they would know me more. So as the body of Christ, we're called to unity. We are also called to diversity. Paul continues. He says, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. To be in the body of Christ means we belong to God and we belong to one another. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? One of the things I think Paul is pointing out here is there are no solo acts in the body of Christ. That a branch cut off from the tree does not bud. <laughs> All right. Continuing on to the, okay, what do we got? All right, good. <laughs> Thanks. Having some slideshow stuff today. Continuing on, Paul says, but in fact, so, so when we see this, we, I have to say one thing. We belong to each other in the body of Christ but we also need each other. Paul continues, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. That we can't look at other people in these pews, people in our small groups and say, I don't need you. Nor can we say, you don't need me. And when we talk about this, we see that it is God who has done it. Verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body as he wanted them to be. God loves diversity. D.A. Carson says that's why every snowflake is different. God loves diversity because he created it. And there's something, as we saw in the John passage, about diversity becoming unified that testifies to the world. that testifies to the beauty of the Savior who has made us one. One author, Rebecca McLaughlin, says in, in Confronting Christianity that Christianity is the most diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic movement in history. That diversity is something that God loves and he sets it up this way so that we can be strong together as the body. Continuing on here, Paul says, on the contrary, so instead of saying, I don't need you, he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So again, we see this language in verse 24. God has put the body together. 
It is God who has done this so that we would have no division, but equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. For example, about this concept, last year we did seven episodes on the Hope on the Sunday Rewind podcast called Racial Solidarity in Hope Lower Town. And one of the reasons we chose to talk about the gospel and race with the word solidarity is this concept right here, that if we have brothers and sisters, black and brown brothers and sisters who are suffering racial injustice, it matters to us because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's what Jesus is saying. It means to be a body. So we can't just say that's your problem, tough luck. We suffer together, we also rejoice together. And I want to look at actually this passage to me really shows the gospel. And I'll say why. Because when we compare ourselves to Christ as the head of the church, and we think about ourselves belonging to body with Christ as the head of the church, we see something here that we were all weaker parts. We were all in our sin dishonorable. Because of our sin, our shame, our selfishness, our selfishness, as Ayn Rand says, selfishness is a virtue. Selfishness is a sin that Jesus took to the cross. But on the cross, in Christ's death, the honorable dies for the dishonorable. The strong dies for the weak. The one who was presentable, the son of God, dies for the unpresentable. So that now in his body, we are, as verse 22 says, indispensable. That to Christ, you are indispensable. We are, as a church, indispensable. Why? Because he died to have us. He wants us that bad. And then Paul says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ because he was glad to die, to have us as his own. And now because of that, we each have a part to play in his body. So then we ask, how can we be the body of Christ at Hope Lower Town? If, if this is, as our church, we are a local expression of the body of Christ, how can we be that body? In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says this about, the, about what Jesus has done. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ has given leaders in the church to equip people so that the people do the works of service in order that as a body we may be built up and become mature reaching unity in the faith. And unity doesn't, isn't something we just arrive at. We have to work for unity. We have to fight through conflict. We have to have hard conversations, but we have to always come back to the fact that we share the same Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. There's something that can pull us away from Christ. Our disconnection to the body allows us to be swept away by the waves 
Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the way that we grow together is together. The way that we grow is to hold fast to the word, to speak the truth and love to one another, to stay connected and urge one another to stay connected to Christ. This is why, for example, we do small groups here at Hope, because when I'm connected to a small group, I have people and I do have them that can say, I don't know about that. And I need that. And they help me stay connected to Christ. So then let's take that down a little. Let's get a little more practical about what does that look like for me as a member of the body? And this is from a book. Oh, wow, the numbers got weird. This is from a book called Planting Missional Churches by a guy named Ed Stetzer. Oh, Brian mentioned him last week. Um, anyway, this is just goals. I'm laying this out as what being a member of a church can look like. It says new and current member goals. One, list seven new friends they have made in church. And this is actually data backs us up that people don't feel like they belong to a church until they have made seven connections. This is part of the reason why we're currently working with our small group leaders on this principle of inviting people in. Because if you just come to my small group, you instantly have 13 connections. But new members, ideally, if we're doing our job right as a church, instantly or, or over a short period of time, we'll have seven new friends that they've made in church. They'll be able to name names. Another thing would be identifying spiritual gifts. Uh, if you want help with that, I can help with that. Just email me, paulsteiver@hopecc.com, or, or just ask people, though. Ask people you're close to. What do you see in me? What do I bring to the body? Third, involved in a role. We're going to talk about that. Four, involved in a small group. That is really the best way to be plugged in here at Hope Lower Town. Five, financially invested. Six, and now this isn't all on members, right? Know and understand church's goals. That's on leadership to communicate. Seven, attend worship services regularly. Eight, identify unchurched relationships and take steps toward evangelism and toward your own church membership. These are things that it can look like to be a member of a local body of Christ. So let's get even more. Oh, I do have one thing. Because the body of Christ is a physical thing, when we think about, we talk about baptism, for example, we say your baptism here at Hope is a, is a physical representation of a spiritual reality, that spiritually you have died with Christ and been raised to new life with him, so you do that physically to communicate that reality. Well, I would argue that by being a member of a physical church, you are communicating a spiritual reality. You are saying, I belong to Christ, to his body. Now, being a member of a church does not save you, but it does display that you have that relationship, that you belong to Christ. I want to talk about the, some practical ways that we can be the body at Hope Lower Town. The first one here um, is to serve on a Sunday. And so we have different avenues for service. I don't have sound up there. You can help with sound. I think Brian has sent out volunteer sheets. Uh, but if you are seeing these and you haven't seen a volunteer sheet and you're like, you know what, I want to use my gifts, Email brian at hopecc.com and you can get plugged in as a volunteer. But we have three ways. Children's, uh, hospitality, and worship are really the key ways that we could really use volunteers that would bless the body on a Sunday. Uh, allow parents to worship more freely. Be that welcoming face or lead God's people, help lead God's people in song. And I do want to say one thing that 
This is an ask from a place of, of you offering service to the church. When we serve in the church, we are not actually serving the church. We're offering that service, not begrudgingly to a church, but worshipfully to Christ. It, our service in the church is offered to Jesus, not to the church. It's done in the church, but if we center on the fact that I'm worshipfully making coffee this morning for Jesus, that's a way different outlook. And I do want to say, I would encourage you, we've got one job. This is Brian and I talk about this, but that's a Hope Lower Town ball cap that I made. I'm really good at graphic design, guys. But no, we did want to talk about that because you have significance. Don't, okay, that was harsh, Josh, laughing at my graphic design. Because you have significance, because you matter, and because Christ has given you a manifestation of the Spirit, I would love to see each of us take ownership over at least one thing in the church. We don't want you to burn out. So at least one thing that helps diffuse that responsibility and helps us bless each other. So could it be hospitality? Could you be that person who, like me, when I went to church at downtown Minneapolis, someone opened the door for me and was genuinely glad to see me? And it honestly, it was life-changing because I hadn't had somebody excited to see me for years when that happened. Those are the kind of things that can happen just by your service. So love to see people get on board with one job. You can talk to Brian about that. But three practical ways you could bless the body during the week. First one, an event. Uh, right now, for example, Chaz and Amy took initiative to do a book study. And that's building connection among people who maybe otherwise wouldn't have got that time together. And it's around a topic. That's being member mobilized. And that's helping people connect. And be, it's blessing the body. We went to uh, friends to pick up some tomatoes the other day as we look at connection. And uh, I looked over on their calendar. I won't, I'm not going to name names because I didn't talk to them beforehand. But we look over on their calendar and on one of the days, apart from any small group connection or anything planned, it said dinner with another family in our small group. Oh, that warmed my heart. That blesses the body. When you see someone in the pew and say, hey, we should get together. Let's get coffee. Come over for dinner. Make those connections with one another because when we go on mission together, we've got to know each other. And lastly, service. One of my favorite illustrations for this actually from a young woman at Hope Downtown who struggled with mental health challenges recently. In one of the throes of depression and anxiety she was going through, she was in a really tough spot and her small group came over to her house and made her a bunch of food, did grocery shopping for her, cleaned her house, and I think maybe hung a couple picture frames and just cared for her and sat with her. That's what it looks like to be the body of Christ. That's service. That's saying you matter. How can I love and serve you that my life isn't just about what I want? But as I throw out those practical things, it's easy to think, okay, I just got to do this now. And then God will accept that God wants me to do the service so that he can accept me. It's not that. The gospel is not do but done for you. So we're going to start to move. We're going to move briefly. I'm going to talk for a little bit more and we're going to move to a time of communion. I want to talk about this. Because the gospel and anything practical we're asking people to do, we want them to do from a place of response. Responding to this good news. 
Christ has accomplished my salvation. Now I'm responding by serving the church with the gifts he's given me. But this is from Matthew 26, and I want to talk about it. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus prayed. This reality that we belong to the body of Christ is only possible because Christ allowed his body to be broken for us. We can only be in the body of Christ because he allowed his body to die on a Roman cross. That his body was broken for us. His blood shed for us in order that we might now, in his resurrection life, belong to him and to one another in his body, in the power of the Spirit. That on the cross, the honorable dying for the dishonorable, the strong dying for the weak, the presentable dying for the unpresentable, that so that now we could have eternal significance to God and be presentable to him, presented as holy and blameless because of the work of Christ. So we're going to move to a time of communion. I just have two questions right before that. The first one being, are you in the body of Christ? Have you called on Jesus as Savior? Have you called on him for the forgiveness of sins and received the Spirit? Have you been brought into the body? If you're not sure, come talk to me after the service. We'll get you saved. Secondly, will you love and serve the body of Christ? Will you love and serve the body of Christ? This is our highest honor, our greatest calling. What a privilege it is to belong to the body of Christ and have him as our head. All right, so we're going to move to a time of communion now. At Hope, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or any church. We only ask that you would say, yes, I follow Jesus. I have called on him as Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. I, I am in his body. He is my Lord. And as we take this communion, I want you to think about those questions. Am I in the body of Christ? Am I loving and serving the body of Christ? Do I see this as this great honor? But also to remember that it isn't your actions that save you. It was his actions. So rejoice in the fact that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. I'm going to pray and we'll move into a time of worship through song as we continue on here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace that when we by our sin had made ourselves dishonorable, unlovable, unpresentable, in complete rebellion of you, you had purpose to send your son and that he gladly laid down his life on the cross and you raised him and he was raised in resurrection vindication to say that he had always lived a perfect life so that now by belief in his name, we too can be accounted righteous in your sight, beloved by you and receive the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, which all those things call us together into the body of Christ with him as the head. So God, help us praise and worship you as we conclude this service through song and communion, giving you the honor and glory that you have done it. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.